Ephesians chapter 4 verse 25 Therefore laying aside falsehood Speak truth each one of you with his neighbor For we are members of one another For his name's sake Prescribe truth We giving you what the doctor ordered Jamal Bandy apologist The Lord's servant We undeserving but Christ changed our mind frame In a world full of errors The only thing the doctor prescribes is truth What's going on everybody Welcome back to another episode Of the Prescribed Truth Podcast I'm your host, Jamal Bandy, the one who seeks to distribute the truth that the doctor prescribes to the church and the world today. Also a part of the Christian podcast community. Happy, happy new year. It is great to be back with you guys once again. I hope you did enjoy the episode series um, that I did with Mr. Edwin Ramirez from the proverbial life. As we discussed, should only leaders baptize new converts if you haven't heard that, it's a four-part series on the podcast, or you can go to my YouTube channel and watch the full-length video that's like three hours long. You can check that out, and let me know what you guys think about that. I hope that you did um, enjoy it, that it, it brought up some thinking points, some talking points, and I would love to be able to uh, chop it up with some of you guys about that as well. Just hit me up. So with that being said, you can hit me up by emailing me at prescribed.truth.gmail.com or you can call me at 801-980-6333. Now, as we go into this new year, I wanted to start off doing something a little different. Um, with my uh, with this platform, I have rarely dealt with issues dealing with the family, uh, but I felt like there are some things that I needed to say and to speak on, and therefore we're starting this off this year with dealing with love and divorce love and divorce. Um, so what I seek to do in this particular episode is start a conversation. Um, I know there are going to be people who would disagree with my position here uh, as far as what I see in the text of scripture. And that is okay. Um, I want to be able to say and make very clear that I'm not real staunch on these issues, but I do have scriptural convictions as that I hold to and why I believe uh, what I believe concerning these topics. Uh, so what I what I seek to address is um, as a Christian, as a Christian, should there be grounds for divorce? I know this is a hard topic concerning our culture and concerning, um, you know, the seriousness of abuse and the seriousness of infidelity and all of those things. And so I, I seek to be very, very careful with my take on this and as far as how I communicate it. So bear with me. And if, if any point that I happen to misspeak, I hope you guys will forgive me, but I do seek to be clear as to where I stand on these issues. Okay. And so please feel free to contact me, leave comments or anything like that. Let me know what you guys think about these topics as a Christian. Should there be grounds for divorce? And that's basically the gist of this whole conversation. Okay. Uh, on my YouTube channel, I did an overview, a live overview, and I, and I titled it Love and Divorce because that's basically what it's going to boil down to as far as our view of love, as far as what Scripture teaches, and divorce, all right, as far as what Scripture teaches. So now let me just throw out some things here. We know the we know the general passage given for love in 1 Corinthians 13, right? Love is patient, it's kind, it's not rude, 
It doesn't rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. And then we get to the point where it says love bears all things and believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. But then it says love never fails or some translations love never ends. And so with this, where do we see a point where love does end where it does end? Because this is where the point where, where a point meets when it comes to divorce, that that somehow this love has ended. This union is now ceased. All right. So what does love mean? When we think of love, what is it? I did a video on my YouTube channel some years ago. It was a very, it was a short form video dealing with first uh, Corinthians 13 and how our culture defines love and what love is biblically. All right. So God gives us the example of what love is. He is our example and he gives us the description and definition of love throughout the whole of scripture. And what I've seen throughout the whole of scripture is that love is this unconditional, unmerited type of affection and, uh, and consideration for an individual, for individuals, if you will, and that is willed to them. Like this isn't something that comes based on a uh, super, uh, a super emotional high. This isn't anything that comes off of just a feeling of good for the moment, you know, a momentary feeling, I should say, but it's based off of will like God wills to love his people who are disobedient, who are rebellious, who are sinners. And I love what scripture teaches when it says that like God loved us while we were yet enemies at the right time. Christ died for the ungodly. But why did Christ die for the ungodly? Well, he tells us in John three, he says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes on him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And we know that world doesn't mean every single person in the world. It's every other, every nation and within nations, God loves his people that those who believe on him, it, it was done out of love. Jesus wheeled himself to the cross. You look at the garden of Gethsemane where he's in the garden. He says, father, if there's any way possible, let this cup pass for me. But then he goes on to say, but nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. It was an act of the will. So that's what love is. Love is an act of the will that is accompanied by emotion, if affection, and I get this definition. I did. I do quote this definition from Vody Bakum, and I heard him preach on his marriage on his marriage series. But I. But it's very biblical. It's true biblically. It is an act of the will. On behalf of an object that is accompanied by emotion, it is. That's what love does. That's what love is. All right. Our culture. Our culture. People tell us that love is based on a feeling. Because you don't feel in love, therefore you may not be loving. You may not really love this individual. And if you don't really love them, then why would you waste your time being with them? You don't love them. 
You don't you don't choose who you love. The heart wants what it wants. Our culture still pushes this bull. And I'm sorry, guys, it is that it's bull crap. Because our marriages are not safe with that kind of thinking. If if all love is, is a feeling of emotion, emotional high, an emotional ride. If that's all it is, then when it runs out, it runs out. And we should be willing to, we should be ready and able to go to love someone new because we're tired of where we are. But that's not biblical. That's not godly. That's satanic. That is satanic. That kind of thinking concerning love is satanic. All right. So that's love. All right. And we see scripture talks about how this, 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 this loving for people and just in general, just not even, not even in the house, not even when it comes to a husband and wife, but just in just love in general, agape love in general is not just towards people who do, who love you back, but towards your enemies. Christ says something very interesting in Luke. He says in Luke six, he said, but I say to you who hear." Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Now, this is going to this is going to you know sound weird when we get to the point of dealing with the marriage context, because he's talking in general. And my thing is, if he says it's about love in general to your enemies, then how deep how deeper is that when it comes to your marriage? Because your marriage, guys, your marriage is the most important relationship outside of God that you have. It is most important. Your spouse is the closest person to you more than anyone else in the world, even your children. Yes, your spouse should be closer to you than even your children. So outside of God, because God should be number one, he should be all in all. But he gave you a spouse who is now one flesh with you. That is the only relationship that we have in this world where God says we are one. That's it. Outside of being the body of Christ, we are one flesh with our spouses. All right. So now when he says in general, when it comes to loving an enemy, an enemy, somebody who's not one with you, who isn't in a covenant union with you, but he says, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. He says, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them, but love your enemies and do good and lend inspecting nothing in return and your reward will be great and you will be sons of the most high for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil Woo! first corinthians 13 it will say love is kind love is patient and is kind god says he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil Wow. Wow. So now when it comes to this love, when it comes to love in a marriage, how does, what does God say concerning husbands? 
love your wives as Christ loved his church and gave himself up for her. The Bible, God gives marriage as an example of how Christ loves his bride, his church. So when it comes to love, how does God love his people? How does God love the church? Is it based on feeling, on emotion, on the fact that we did everything correctly, did everything right, all those things? Is that how we come into this love of God? No. The Bible says while we were yet enemies, while we were enemies, God loved us. He loved us. The Bible says we love God because he first loved us. That would logically mean, guys, that we didn't love God. We hated him, yet he loved us first. He was the initiator of this love because God is love, right? But this is the example. Like Christ is our motivation and our example of true biblical love. And this love does bear all things. Now you say, Jamal, how's that so? Well, it's in our salvation. Because if we're a part of the body of Christ, then we are a part of the bride of Christ. We are members of the bride of Christ. And Jesus said that all that the father has given me, he will by no means cast out. So we will come to him and he will by no means, no means, not some means, no, not some possible means, but by no means cast us out. And Paul goes on to say something, something spectacular when he says, what shall separate us from the love of God? Then he names, he lists all these things that should separate us from the love of God, but they don't. They don't. Because if we're in Christ, we're kept for forever. If we're truly in Christ, if we're truly in Christ, if we are born again, blood-bought believers, there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. There's nothing that will cause him to divorce us. Praise God. So now in a marriage context, how does that play out? How does love play out practically in our marriages? So when it comes to divorce, I'm going to just throw it out there, guys. I'm going to throw it out there for you real quick. I don't believe, according to the scriptures, that a Christian should divorce their spouse. And I'm not going to say except for sexual immorality. I'm not even going to say in the case of abuse. And I know, I know that that's going to raise some alarms. And I know some people are going to say, Jamal, you are crazy. Why would you say such a thing? But hear me out. Hear me out. I do believe that in situations like abuse, there should be steps, immediate steps taken to rectify that situation. I do believe separation is a must in situations like that. Definitely for the safety of the, um, the abused and for discipline of the abuser. And let's be clear. The abuser is not always the men. There are cases where women abuse their husbands. It's a fact. 
And I'm not I'm not saying that to to take away from the fact that men abuse women. I'm not taking away from that. What I'm saying is that sin does not have a gender. All right. Just sin. It is sinful to be abusive. It is sinful to commit adultery. It is sin. But it's important that we acknowledge these things as sin. Because that plays an important part as far as what we're talking about here. Sinful acts. And we got to remember that sinful acts at the root, at the root is an issue, a heart issue with their creator, with our creator. All right. Just like David acknowledged he had a man killed. He had a man killed and then he committed adultery. But yet when he writes his psalm, he says against you and you alone, Lord, have I sinned? Why wouldn't David acknowledge that in that psalm that he sinned against Bathsheba, that he sinned against Uriah? But he said against you and you alone, Lord, have I sinned. So at the root of all of our sin is pridefulness, pridefulness against this God who created us and gave us the right way of which we should live. And yet we rebel against him. That is the root of it. All right. So let's think about this. In Matthew, I really want to read this dealing with divorce. In Matthew, people come to ask Jesus about divorce. They say Moses gave gave us the ability to divorce. He, he told us we can write a certificate of divorce. And if you read a law concerning that, it was for any reason. I mean, if a man found displeasure in his spouse, he could divorce her with a certificate of divorce. That's it. Not because of infidelity, not because of abuse, but because he found displeasure in her. He could send her away legally. All right. So they come back and they ask Jesus these things, trying to test him. But what, but what does it say? Let's go. Let's go to it. Matthew five, Matthew five. Um, this is not where they asked about it. This is just him. This is where Jesus was speaking. So we're going to, I'm going to read here. I'm going to read a couple more passages. But Matthew five thirty one. It was it was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now, before I go any further, I do want to throw this caveat in here that I want to speak a little bit on this idea of we can divorce only on the grounds of sexual immorality. I'm going to speak a little bit on that towards the end as we get through these scriptures. So please stay tuned with me and just bear with me. Um, but matter of fact, let's take a break real quick. I'm going to take a moment and uh, let's take a quick break to listen to some, uh, some commercials from the Christian podcast community. And we'll be right back. Can you prove that God is a Trinity? Can you prove that Jesus is God? Can you defend the Christian faith? And what is it that Christians truly believe? The new book by Andrew Rappaport, What Do We Believe, will answer those questions and more. Some people just don't understand what the church is today. But this book will go through the history and meaning of the church. And what's more important than to understand man's sinfulness and God's salvation? Get your copy at whatdowebelievebook.com or at the strivingforeternity.org store. What's up, everyone? This is James Watkins, host of the Five Souls Podcast and founder of Five Souls Ministries. 
Be sure to check out our podcast that releases every Thursday on your favorite podcasting app as we discuss Christian doctrine and dive into the Reformed theological distinctives and their continued relevance for the church and world today. Grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, Scripture alone, to the glory of God alone. Join us each episode as we discuss the truths of these foundational rallying cries of the Protestant Reformers and how this material helps challenge and direct the current church in its life of worship and witness. Visit us online at www.5solasministries.com. That's www.5solasministries.com to learn more information about the ministry and to also check out our awesome Five Solas lineup of t-shirts and gospel tracks. And as always, may all that you do be done to the glory of God. Soli, Deo, Gloria. All right, we're back and we're looking at divorce according to the text, according to the text of scripture and this idea of love. All right. And we just finished reading Matthew 5. 31 and 32. And there's another text that I want to look at Matthew 19. All right. So Matthew 19, this is where we have where the uh, Pharisees came to question Jesus. And it says, and the Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? That's Matthew 19, three. And he answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. So before we even get into a context of a reason why someone can't even divorce anyone, Jesus makes it very clear that divorce is not in the will of God. It is not. And I don't think any of us would disagree with that. I don't think anyone who would disagree with me on this particular episode will disagree with me on this point that divorce is not in the will of God. It was the will of God for men and women to come together in the marriage union and stay together. All right. That's always been in the will of God. But it's interesting that when he says for any cause that this is how Jesus answers. He lets us know he lets it be known in the beginning, in the get go, that this is this is how it's supposed to be. They're not to be separated. Then they say to him, they said to him, why then? Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, verse eight, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. So once again, not no, no loophole here as far as when is the only time it was okay. But here he's saying, because of the hardness of your heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. So from the beginning, it was not so that women or men would divorce each other. All right. It wasn't so. And we got to guys, we got to think about this. The abuse just so happened. And just I'm, I'm, I want to be I'm going to be careful with this, guys. And you, bear with me. I, I don't mean to make this, make light of this at all, at all. But did abuse just happen after Jesus gave this command? Like what he said, what he said here in Matthew, or did abuse did abuse always did it always exist? We know sin exists ever since the fall of man. So were were there abusive husbands back then? Where God gave the command? gave the commandment about marriage and how it was supposed to be and the intent of this, of his will. 
I, I believe so. I believe that things happened. Infidelity happened. I believe all of that happened back then. Yet Jesus says it was not so. But it's because of the hardness of your heart that that God allowed you guys to divorce your spouses. It was allowed. It was permissible. So it's just something to think about, just something to consider. Then he says, verse nine, and I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. All right. Except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. So now in this conversation, there's going to be, there's actually two things. Well, two more things we need to be dealing with, but I don't think I'm going to deal with on this show on this episode is the idea of remarriage. Should we be able to remarry after a divorce or stay single? Um, and so this goes, it's going to go into a little bit of what I'm going to discuss here. <clears throat> I won't go deep into it. So now here where Matthew nine, and when it talks about except for sexual immorality and marries another, he commits adultery. I'm going to make a case that in this context, in this context of where um, in the time of, of Jesus and the traditions of how they have, how they dealt with marriage and um, it, how everything went into marriage is different than what we see today. And so in this context, I believe that this marriage, we talked about um, uh, it when it says whoever divorces his wife could be considered someone who is actually engaged and not actually um, married, like as we would see marriage, who are, who are actually become husband and wife union, you know, where they can consummate the marriage. And you'll say, Jamal, you know, why are you saying that? You know, well, I, I believe the scripture convictions for this. And so let's look at something real quick. Let's look, if you will, turn with me back to Matthew, Matthew 1. Matthew 1. And guys, if there's, I know there's, like, like I said, I know there are people who disagree on these points. And so I'm open to conversation. Let's have a conversation about it. I'm open to it. Um, but this is where my, my scriptural convictions are. So we got Matthew 1, um, 18. It says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Now that means they were engaged. They weren't yet married, but there was an agreement. And back then this was like a contractual agreement. Joseph would have taken steps to uh, give to the family. You know, you had to uh, pay a certain price and all of that. So he, he did all that to the father of Mary and so on and so forth. There's an agreement between the families and everything at this point. So he was betrothed to, uh, she was betrothed to Joseph before they came together. She was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. All right. So now this is the situation. They're engaged. Now, in our culture, we don't take engagement that seriously. We don't. We don't take it that deep. I mean, we get happy when when someone says yes and we praise them and we say, oh, that's beautiful. They're going to get married and so on and so forth. But when somebody gets engaged in our culture, they can easily change their mind tomorrow. See, back here. No, you weren't changing your mind. Like there had to be a reason for you to take like change your mind as far as being married to this woman. All right. You couldn't just say, oh, I, I decide I love somebody else or I want somebody else now. It wasn't that simple. No, no, sir. No, ma'am. It wasn't happening that way. 
you know, but in today's time, you can give somebody a ring and they can give it right back. <laughs> you know, that's that's it. You give them a ring. They decide they don't want it no more. They take it off and give it back to you and you go pawn it or you'll give it somebody else. That's all you got to do in today's time. We don't take engagement that seriously. We don't, you know, as an actual agreement, as an actual contractual agreement that I will marry you. We don't we don't see it that way. But that's what it says. It says that they that she was betrothed to Joseph, and before they came together, she was pregnant. And her husband. Now, this is the thing, guys. Verse nineteen. Verse nineteen refers to Joseph as Mary's husband, not his fiance. That's what we say now. <laughs> Can you imagine being engaged to someone today, and they're referring to you as husband and wife, and you haven't even made your marriage vows yet in our culture that's how we how we do it can you imagine that well here joseph was already considered to be mary's husband but they were betrothed they were engaged see this was no fiance here you know what i'm saying this wasn't this wasn't a middle ground he was considered to be her husband and she was considered to be his wife but it goes a little deeper what happened here? What was Joseph's concern? It says, and her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Whoa, wait a minute. Wait a minute now. Somebody help me. How could it be that he can divorce her when they're not even married? And, and his reason for wanting to divorce her is what Jesus was talking about. The fact that there would have been sexual immorality. She's pregnant. Think about it. He doesn't know at this point. He doesn't know that she's pregnant of the Holy Spirit. He just finds out. He just finds out that she's pregnant. He's that she's pregnant and him not wanting to embarrass her just resolves to divorce her quietly. But why can he just walk away? Why couldn't he just walk away? You know, and just walk away and say, hey, you know what? I need I need my money back from your pops. You know, I need to get my get my get my cattle back because uh, this ain't going to work, you know. But anyway, that's that's not what happened. He was going to divorce her quietly. But he goes on to say, but as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. So I'm seeing this is like, okay, well, he's already considered to be her husband, but the angel is telling him, don't fear to take her as your wife for that, which is conceived in her is from the Holy spirit. And so it goes on to say in verse 24, just just skipping ahead. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and he took his wife. So he went on through with the marriage. But then this is how we know he went through the marriage. This is how we know that now it was lawful. It was lawful for them to consummate because verse 25 says, but he knew her not until she had given birth to Jesus. That's what the text says. So even though they were married, he still chose not to have sex with her because she was still carrying the child. And praise God that Joseph did that. He, he wanted to make sure that there's no way people could say that was his child because he understood what the angel of the Lord was telling him. But that aside, now he's married to her. We see a transition. 
he was already considered to be her husband, even though they were engaged, they were betrothed. But at when he took her as his wife, he now could lay with her as giving his right to it as being her husband. All right. So this is important. This is important. This is guys. This is why I believe that when Jesus was saying what he said in Matthew 19 concerning divorce, concerning except for sexual immorality, that was he's talking about when people even betrothed because this was a Jewish custom. This was always a custom from the beginning. This is how it was done. You know, and so I do believe that when it comes to marriage, when it comes to being married, it is not so that we should divorce each other. All right. Just based off what I see in the text of scripture. And look at what he said, given how the law was, it was because of the hardness of our hearts. It was because of lack of love for an individual that we would send them away, especially in the Mosaic law. A lack of love, because like I said, a man could send his wife away just for simply finding displeasure in her. But Jesus said from the beginning, it was not so. It was not so. So I really want us to consider these things. Let's really think about this for a moment. When you make vows, when you take your marriage vows and you say for better or for worse, what do you really mean? What does it really mean? And does it even matter? Does those vows make a difference? Do they really make a difference? I've always tell people who are planning to get married. I ask them, is there anything? Is there anything that you're, that this person can do that you will say, I can't be with them anymore. I can't live with them anymore. I can't love them no more. And then when people start laying out their list of things and one of those two things that I hear the most is infidelity and the fact of abuse. And I asked them, I said, well, if that's the case, then you may not want to get married. The reason why the Bible is clear, guys, we, our hearts are desperately sick and wicked, desperately sick and wicked that the mindset to the flesh is hostile towards God. Now you say, Jamal, why are you quoting these things? Because we're talking about Christians here. Yes, I am. And I'm also talking about how the fact when people are engaged, that sometimes, especially in our culture, that we overlook the, the need, the imperative to be equally yoked, to be equally yoked. And so you man, you woman who, seeking to be married and you find a spouse who does not love the Lord, who is not obeying Christ yet you want to marry them. You want to, you want to vow your life to them. It is serious because you're, you're trusting that individual to obey God, which they're showing you they can't. Now, um, that's all I'm gonna say on that. I think there's more you can't say on that, but I leave that there. Cause that's some that's some struggle in that, some real struggles in that. I promise you there are. But now, what about in the case of two believers? Well, if there are two believers who are together. They're Christians, born again, blood washed. Where there's infidelity, there will be repentance, and where there has been abuse. 
as wicked as it is, there will be repentance. There will be. Even if it doesn't happen overnight, it will be. But look how God deals with us as being covenant people. When we sin, he chasten us because he loves us. God does not allow us to continue in sin without being checked. And therefore, sin should not go unchecked in your marriage. If there's infidelity, if there's abuse of any kind, pornography or any of that kind of stuff, if that's going on, that should be checked. And prayerfully, you are part of a local church. And if it's not checked in the home, it needs to be brought before your elders. The body needs to be involved in helping this marriage union stay or become healthy and stay prosperous. We're not an island. We're not alone. This is why we have the body for help. Men, if you happen to find out that there's a sister in your congregation or a sister in general who is being abused and you do nothing. Something is wrong with you. You should be checked. You don't wait for an invitation for that. You pull that man aside or you pull that woman aside. Sisters, pull that woman aside. You find out she's being abusive to her husband. I'm talking about Christians, how we should deal with Christians. And then church discipline is enacted. Church discipline is enforced. But when it comes to your marriage, divorce should not be an option. And like I said, I know people would disagree with that. And I know the 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 um the the saying of people will be, well, you're saying the woman should stay in abusive stay in a abusive relationship. People, hear me clearly. I believe that in situations like that, where there's abuse, that the man should be separated from the woman. The woman should leave him, separate from him. But for, for leaving room for repentance, leaving room for repentance. And during that time of separation, if the abuser decides to walk away, if the abuser decides to divorce and to leave, well, this may go to show that their heart wasn't truly in Christ, which then goes to show that they may have been an unbeliever. And what would happen? What did Paul say? That if, if that hey, if there's a, if you have an unbelieving spouse, if they cons- if they consent to live with you, then don't divorce them. But if they want to leave, then for the sake of peace, let them go. That's what Paul says concerning the, the being married to unbelievers. But in the case of a believing spouse, then we should be doing everything we can to make it work. And sometimes in that case like that, because of safety, for safety reasons, then yeah, I think it's best to have people separate for a time. All right. And so, and this is, like I said, this is where we get the church involved, get other men involved, and even getting the law involved. If this discipline caused this man to go to jail for some time, yes, it's going, this is, this will bring up financial burden and everything else. Yes. It comes with consequences, guys. This is a sinful, broken world we live in. Sin comes with consequences. It does. It does. 
But our goal, our motivation should be seeking to honor God in everything we do. Our motivation should be the Lord and not people. Your spouse should not be your motivation as to why you love them. Your motivation, believer, your motivation should be Christ. This this is something that stands for, I'm saying to you guys as well, that I have to deal with just as much as you guys. This, these truths, they exist. Our motivation should be Christ. Our faithfulness to be should be to the Lord above all. So without going in circles and rambling on, I'm going to leave it there. I'm going to leave it there. I believe there is much more that could be said to the situation, but right now it's a monologue because I'm speaking, but I'm hoping for dialogue. I'm hoping for conversations to come forward from this, from this topic. And I'm, I look forward to having conversations with you guys going forward. So I hope this has been helpful for you guys. I hope that you found some benefit to this. I hope it may cause you to think a little bit or even cause you to even think about um, what, how, what love truly is and, and what that means practically in our marriages. All right. So um, please contact me. Remember, you can email me at prescribed.truth at gmail.com or you can call me at 801-980-6333. If you'd like to support this ministry financially, you can do so by joining me on Patreon. For only just a dollar more a month, you can support this podcast as it's being distributed across the board with different podcast apps and the websites and everything else. I greatly appreciate you guys. Thank you so much to all the listeners of the prescribed truth podcast. You mean so much to me. You, you just don't know how much I really do. Thank you guys for your downloads, your listens and everything, man. Just really thank you for the support. Um, but remember this world is full of errors, especially concerning love, especially concerning love. But the only thing that the doctor prescribes is truth blessings <laughs>